is On Point with Alex Pearson. Today, after careful consideration, we're ready to confirm that the situation is no longer an emergency. Therefore, the federal government will be ending the use of the Emergencies Act. We are confident that existing laws and bylaws are now sufficient to keep people safe. There was never an emergency. People were always safe. Trudeau's power grab has made a mockery of this country. Alex Pearson with you on this Wednesday, February 23rd. And holy Toledo, what a roller coaster of a news day it has been. And of course, a lot of the news coming out of Ukraine, which is an actual emergency. Let's just make it very clear. That is an emergency. That is a national emergency. And we're going to talk about it. But then we get um, distracted by the latest circus act in this country. That was never an actual emergency. But it now comes to a sudden close with the prime minister suddenly just ending this crucial, vital, urgent, this emergency power that he and his minions told us day after day was needed to protect us and this country from the evil that lurks among us. And in the end, apparently was contained by the police because when they did their job using the tools they had, it was a job that they could do. I mean, what an absolute mockery that this prime minister's made of this country's rule of law. How anyone can't see this for the charade it always was, needs to take their blindfolds off. Because up until this afternoon, up until four o'clock today, Trudeau and his ministers were adamant, adamant that there was an existing threat. There was darkness among us, they said. Our democracy was being threatened. They were seized with this. This might have to go on for 30 days, they said. They dragged MPs into a five-day round-the-clock debate. And then emergency votes were held on Monday on this precedent-setting act. And now here we are, 24 hours later, and the power's no longer needed. Because Trudeau said today, well, we've averted the main threat. We know uh, that there will continue to be threats to Canada, to our democracy, to democracies around the world. And we cannot shy away from using tools that are necessary to maintain the safety and security of citizens. And that's exactly what we did in a responsible and proportionate way. That is a load of crap. Trudeau told us we needed this power to protect the entire country. That this power was needed to protect all of our critical infrastructure. That foreign money was threatening to undermine our country. I mean, he was so adamant that he needed this power, that he threatened to make Monday's vote in the House a confidence vote. He was willing to go to an election on this. And so the only person I see undermining our democracy is the man who keeps undermining it with his political games, be it this power grab or the one he tried to shove through at the beginning of this pandemic, SNC, or, 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 or. The real story here is that this emergency power was always political and always very self-serving for Mr. Trudeau. And the reality is, is that the Senate was about to call Mr. Trudeau on it. Because unlike the trained SEALs who supported this nonsense, pushing it through the House on Monday, the Senate wasn't actually going to automatically rubber stamp this. Because Trudeau and his cabinet uh, were refusing to turn over confidential evidence that they claimed they had to make their case, but it had to be kept confidential. And so we are to believe that lawmakers in this country aren't allowed to see evidence to make a decision about being, you know, creating laws in this country, right? That is a load of crock. 
Trudeau nor his ministers never had any evidence to back up this so-called January 6th insurrection that never happened. But the other issue was that despite the many obvious legal challenges to these emergency powers that Trudeau was facing, a Trudeau-appointed senator came out today, a former judge, and said that he was going to be voting against his power because it violated Section 8 of the Charter. This is the right to be secure against unreasonable search or seizure. And his name is Senator Dolphin. And he said his main concern was this lack of judicial oversight in freezing assets. So yes, good news, there is sober second thought in this country. The reality is, is Trudeau tried to push through a power grab to end a very embarrassing chapter that made him look foolish and weak. And now he looks even worse because he's been exposed again for the divisive politics he continues to play that leads to very deep divisions across his country. Because time and again, we've seen this. He uses his power to conquer and punish anyone who disagrees with him. It is utterly shameful. It's shameful. As soon as I saw his press release that he was having this announcement today, I thought, really? This guy is going to shut this down. What a fraud. And now that this crisis is averted, here's what Mr. Trudeau said during his press conference today. Let's remember that we're fighting a virus, not each other. Let's work together. After two difficult and painful years, we have a lot of healing to do. And now is the time to be there for one another. Trudeau looks stupid. He's made an utter mockery of this emergency power, and he's abused his power. And he is, an, and all of his MPs, and the NDP who supported this charade should be utterly embarrassed. And Premier Ford, who also doesn't come out smelling like a rose, at the same time Trudeau is flip-flopping, Ford then quietly ends the provincial emergency powers that he also enacted. But don't forget, he too supported this federal charade. And they'll all spin this, that, you know, these powers brought back law and order. They did what they're supposed to do. No, 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 sorry. That is nonsense. That's just a deflection from all of their failures to lead in a time of crisis. Whether it's the Ottawa mayor, the Ottawa police, the premier, the prime minister, all of them deserve scorn because a lot of damage has been created by their lack of ability to do their jobs. And it doesn't just end because they whip out their talking points. If they thought the fringe minority was angry before, they have now made it much worse because they've been exposed once again playing politics. So there's going to be a lot of damage that comes out of this. What? I don't know. Sure, there'll be inquiries and investigations and sure, they'll tell us it's all going to be looked into. But all I'm seeing right now are politicians looking very foolish playing politics with this country. And so we're going to talk about this because there's also a lot um, coming out on the financial side of this. And we'll talk about that. It's been a crazy news day. Of course, the real, un the real emergency unfolding in this world is in Ukraine, which is actually on the brink of war with, with Russia. When you actually juxtapose what, what Ukraine is going through right now, and the political games we are dealing with with our own politicians in this country, those in charge, should just, they should absolutely be ashamed of themselves. They should be embarrassed.
because they made a crisis where there wasn't one, and they abused power to cover it up. So what happens with the uh, bank accounts? Well, Finance Minister Christopher Freeland kind of said today during the uh, press conference, in French, of course, that the banks are already unfreezing bank accounts. And by the way, they were only frozen to push protesters to stop. Well, I guess it's just a game. And sorry, these draconian financial measures don't just go away. We have talked, my producer and I, to two people who had their bank accounts frozen, and they've spent six days trying to unfreeze them, or days trying to unfreeze them. So none of this just goes away, and there's going to be fallout from that. Don't forget, Freeland herself said, don't worry if you're the, you know, giving just a few bucks. That's not who's going to be targeted. But that's not the truth. A fin- yes. financial contribution um, to um, to either through a crowdsourced platform or directly yes. could result in their bank account being frozen. Yes, could to the yes. So they didn't have to, to the extent they they didn't have to actively they did not have to actively be involved in the protest. They didn't have to be here in Ottawa or at one of the blockades. No, not themselves. It could be indirectly. So if someone gave $20 to the Freedom Convoy through a crowdsourcing platform, they could have their bank account frozen. If that person gave the money after February 15th, it is possible. There you go. That's the voice of a finance assistant to the Deputy Minister, Krista Freeland. And she was one of many who ended up testifying Tuesday, looking into what the ramifications of these financial penalties are. And Freeland's always claimed that only big spenders and the organizers will be targeted. But that's not true. And my producer, Glenn, he's spoken with two people now who have had their accounts frozen, had no connection at all to the convoys, and have been left to untangle this mess for the last few days. And we learned through this committee that the banks were tipped off by RCMP watch lists, watch lists uh, that ended up getting accounts frozen of suspected donors without any notice to the account holders. Now, the RCMP denies this, of course, but what's clear is that there's a lot of unclarity here. But if you gave 20 bucks... 2000, and it was done after February 15th, you can very much be targeted. But now that these powers are gone, uh, there's even less clarity. Aaron Woodrick, of course, is a director now of domestic policy over at the McDonald Laurier Institute. You know him from before. He was formerly with the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, and uh, you wrote a lot about this, so it's great to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me, Alex. Boy, oh boy, what an eventful uh, last couple of hours it has been. First of all, let me get your um, reaction to this about face with the Trudeau government, because this doesn't just go away. I mean, they, they have created a lot of uh, damage here. Yeah, look, first, I want to be clear. I'm glad that it's over. Um, I've been oh, yeah, for sure. I, I, I did not think it was justified to invoke it. Uh, but once they did invoke it, I've been arguing since the moment, because, look, uh, uh, the only plausible reason, and I still don't think it was enough, was the convoy in Ottawa. Once that was gone, there was no reason, in my view, for them to keep the act in force. They kept it in force for three days, uh, nonetheless. But I'm glad it's over. That's good. Um, you know, better late than never. Uh, but you're right. You know, there's still going to be consequences. First of all, there has to be an inquiry into this. That's required under the act. So that has to begin within two months. And frankly, I think a lot of the damage has been done here already. We've already set a bad mm-hmm. precedent. Um, you know, we've already basically sent a chill through, through Canadian, the Canadian communities, anyone who is considering supporting any organization that might be critical of the government is probably going to think twice now. And that's very unhealthy in a free democracy. You don't want people wondering whether their bank account is going to get frozen because they donate to some cause, whatever it is, 
that, that happens to be, um, you know, unfriendly towards the government of the day. That's a very dangerous thing, but that's where we are now. Yeah, and look, it doesn't just go away. I mean, I was a bit surprised um, and, and surprised that there was not more um, anger about this or frustration or even questioning about this. It's a pretty draconian measure to weaponize someone's bank account. And unlike the terror laws that we have or foreign funding, which have checks and balances and appeal processes, this does not. And so there are people now who are being affected and have absolutely no way of getting out of this. And the reality is uh, sometimes you have to defend the rights of those who you despise to protect the causes you love, because today it's the convoys. Tomorrow, very much obviously, if it was a different government, it could be Black Lives Matter. What if someone, you know, turned around and said, well, you know, we're, we're going to have to, they've been violent. We've got to turn this around. So to me, a very dangerous precedent has been set now. Yeah, look, the, the, you're, you're hitting the, the key principle on the head here is that we want to avoid the normalization of the government using extreme powers to go after their political opponents. We don't want that to happen. It doesn't matter whether you're on, on one side or the other. That's just a bad thing generally. And that's really what they've done here. The other thing, Alex, that I don't think gets enough attention under the Emergency Act and the specific orders that are issued under that act, the, the accounts that were frozen and the language used in there is so incredibly broad. Like, uh, people don't yeah. appreciate this. You know, in normal circumstances, if a government, say there's a criminal enterprise, they want to go after them, they have to collect intelligence, they go to court, they present evidence in front of a judge, the judge says, okay, this makes sense, these are bad guys, you get your order, and then you can go freeze the information. That's normal. That's, that's expected. The government should do that if they have the evidence. What they shouldn't do is put out an order that says, okay, um, anyone who's a designated person, who's a designated person, anyone who directly or indirectly participates in this particular protest, there's no minimum threshold. That's why you heard one of the MPs ask him about $20. So basically anyone that donates any amount, yeah. even a dollar, gets ca caught up in this net. And that's, that is just not appropriate. You know, the, the minister and others have said, well, we really only want to go after the big fish. Well, then guess what? Put that in the order. Say that in the order. They did not do that. And that's exactly why far too many people are going to get caught up in this net. Yeah, and I suspect that they probably got a lot of blowback from banking lawyers, and they probably got a lot of blowback, um, you know, uh, you know, just from the banks themselves. But also, you know, there was this uh, Trudeau-appointed senator who came out. He's a former judge who said, "Look, I, I can't vote for this." To specific to this particular part of these measures, saying that there were no checks and balances with, with these financial penalties, and so he said, "I can't vote for this." Um, but these are things, Aaron, which I don't understand, should have been brought up and challenged. I've been talking about them on the show. I, I, I find it just confounding um, that there has not been more pushback to this because I think people have been kind of, uh, you know, lulled into the thought that, well, it's just this cause. Well, it's not just this cause. Th this can spread very, very quickly and be abused very, very fast. And it can spread, you know, faster than than what I think people understand it can. You know, you're absolutely right, and, and I, I think people need to appreciate, too, that despite what the government has said publicly, they've really tried to clarify, say, oh, well, you know, we don't want to go off the building. Well, you have to put that in the order then. You know, that's not the way laws work. Laws don't work as in, when words have meaning here, and the orders have meaning, and the meaning is too broad. So if the government meant something else and meant to be more specific and meant to go after a smaller class of people, they should have said that in the order. And that's why it's so troubling to me, as well as we sort of shrugged it off and said, well, you know, that's not who it was intended to go after. And I was like, well, that's the effect of it. So that's what really matters here. And for a lot of people, as I said, it's not even about, um, uh, you know, maybe your bank account gets frozen for a day. It's not the end of the world. It's about we've broken down this taboo now 
that guess what? Sometimes governments might just freeze bank accounts in a broad way if there's something upsetting. And that's, I just think, a terrible thing for a civic society generally. Yeah, uh, and sorry, you're a little distant from us, uh, from your microphone. You know, I have no problem going after foreign funding. I have no problem going after um, donors who come after the interests of this country. That is not my issue with it. It's just the fact that there are no checks and balances on this. But, you know, David Lametti, the justice minister, um, you know, when he was asked who this would affect, he, he kind of laughed it off. Well, if you're a Trump donor or support that kind of stuff, you could be uh, roped in. And, and Christopher Freeland said, well, just don't get involved in this stuff. And that's how you st- you stay clear of it. That's all cute. Um, but that's that's not how laws are supposed to be written and carried out in this country. And now Christian Freeland saying, well, you know, the banks are going to unfreeze the accounts, um, but we'll have, you know, it was done to make the protesters stop, um, but we'll probably make some of these powers uh, permanent. First of all, there's no clarity in that. There's no guarantee that they can undo this mess. And again, we're in this gray zone now. Um, where we're getting a lot of political spin, but very real Canadians are going to get caught in this. Yeah, look, I mean, a couple of things. One, if, if they want to, to uh, have more transparency about foreign donations, supporting Canadian political causes, that's fine. Um, but they need to go through the normal process to do it, right? They need to have a vote in Parliament. They need to debate it. They can't just declare it this way. Um, and the other thing is it shouldn't just apply to causes we don't like, but okay for causes we do. A lot of Canadians will know that, for example, a lot of um, anti-oil sands, environmentalist activists yeah. that have been very harmful to a lot of Canadian jobs uh, and communities in Western Canada, they've been receiving foreign money for years, but nobody said a thing, and the Liberals didn't seem too concerned about that. So I think you've got to... Well, they weren't concerned about the 2015 election. It, yeah, they weren't concerned when Tides uh, spent $6 million trying to defeat Stephen yeah. Harper. Um, you know, that was a, a direct, you know, toying with our democracy. No one cared about that. Well, exactly. So let's have some rules, but let's just have rules that apply to everybody and not yeah. only worry about that. The other thing quickly I got to say is, you know, the, the justice minister singling out, uh, you know, Trump supporters, pro-Trump supporters, completely inappropriate for a justice minister. I mean, he should have said yeah. something like, if you want to go after illegal protests or illegal activity, that's fine. But you single out a certain group, you're basically mm-hmm. admitting who you're targeting. And again, just very bad form for a minister. Very divisive, very dangerous when you politicize these kinds of things. Nonetheless, the fallout will continue. Very much appreciate your time on this, Aaron. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Alex. Aaron Woodrick is with the uh, McDonald laurier Institute, formerly with the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. If only the CRA was uh, as aggressive in going after those who don't pay their taxes than they have been in the last uh, couple of days trying to seize bank accounts. Imagine that. We were very clear that the use of the Emergencies Act would be limited in time. When we invoked it, it would be in place for up to 30 days, but we said that we would lift it as soon as possible. We've held updates and briefs with ministers and officials every day, often multiple times a day. All right, let's just be honest. The prime minister was never clear, and the only reason he's suddenly lifting these powers is because there was never actually a justifiable case to enact such a draconian power. I mean, for days we've been given this steady stream of spin about the evils lurking among us, that, you know, Canada's democracy is under threat, and that these powers are so needed and now they are gone. Don't forget, it was just Monday where all of Trudeau's MPs, propped up by the MP, NDP, they were willing to push this through, no questions asked. But there was no actual evidence presented to back up the case, which is one of the reasons that the Senate was not actually going to rubber stamp this thing right away, because they were told that Trudeau's cabinet had all this confidential intel, but that they just couldn't show it to the lawmakers of this country, which is just nonsense. 
And so the Senate was actually supposed to debate this issue tonight. And then, of course, today, one of Trudeau's Senate appointees, who is a retired judge, said he wouldn't be voting for it because he felt it violated charter rights and lacked checks and balances, which I'm going to suggest is one of the real reasons Trudeau has utterly flip-flopped on this power grab. Senator Leo Husakas is a conservative senator, and um, it's great to have you on this very timely occasion. Great to be on your show. We were going to be talking about the um, pushback you and several others were, were putting up against this particular act because there was no transparency and other issues, and now that's not going to happen. But what do you make of the last couple of hours? It's probably the saddest moment in Canadian history where we have a Prime Minister of Canada that is always putting his political interests ahead of absolutely anything else. And we've seen a Prime Minister that is always creating this environment of us versus them. And this is a classic case. He did it in the elections. It's a constant with Justin Trudeau. He sees polls. He figures 80% of Canadians are double-vaxxed, 20% are not. So I'm going to make an example of somebody just for political expediency. Let's just remember, Alex... That a few mm-hmm. months ago, a year ago, during the midst of this crisis, these truckers went from heroes. They brought, they, they, you know, they risked their lives. They go coast to coast to bring us produce, to feed us, to allow us to be able to sit at home and comfort many of us throughout this crisis. And all of a sudden, they became zeros when they opposed this prime minister. And that's at the crux of all this. This prime minister, anybody who opposes him or questions his policies, they are called uh, extremists. They're called ultra-right. They're called racists. They call, they're called Nazis. And then he wonders why people who are already frustrated in this country with his government become outraged. Yeah, and I know that there were a number of issues, but I mean, at the core, just so people understand this, because we've never had a, a, an emergency power presented like this outside of the War Measures Act back in the 70s, but legislators are entitled to review evidence used by cabinet to invoke police powers. And so um, you would be entitled to see this kind of evidence or intelligence that the Trudeau government told everybody that they had. It's just that no one ever saw it. But why were they refusing to turn that over? And can they refuse it? Well, Alex, that's the good question. Look, we had over the last two days in the Senate, (laughs) the government leader basically make the argument that, look, I haven't seen the evidence, uh, but let's trust the government. They're telling us that there's an insurrection. They're telling us that there's dangers at the gates. There's extremists. There's international powers at work here trying to overthrow the Canadian government. And all of a sudden, after all these calls on the part of all these liberal senators, all of a sudden this afternoon, I guess they must have got a poll showing that the Canadian public was fed up at this dog and pony show. They They withdraw it right away. So all those urgent, urgent arguments, all of a sudden, poof, they disappeared. But let's be clear, for a number of days now, they've given overarching powers to the police to basically investigate anybody's bank account. If you are somebody suspected of supporting, for example, a trucker's convoy, a freedom organization, anybody who is opposed to this government of Justin Trudeau, they can investigate your bank accounts. They can investigate some of the most personal information in this country that we have as Canadians. And we have not only no due process, most of us mm-hmm. would not even know that we were being under investigation. 
Yeah, we have seen a, a steady practice of that during this pandemic where you had public health under the um, you know orders of this government uh, doing surveillance on, on you know mining data of cell phones. We, we've seen this is also the second power grab that Trudeau has tried to get. Uh, he tried to do this again in, in the beginning of this pandemic. There, there is a serious problem here, and I'll jump to that in just a second because I want to also point out um, that I understand it was an independent senator, uh, Delphin, who was actually um, appointed by Mr. Trudeau, who said that he was not going to vote for this because he was seriously, because he's a retired judge, he saw all the many flaws of of this particular power and he said he couldn't vote for it. And so do you think that was uh, the straw that, that kind of made Mr. Trudeau realize he, he couldn't win this? Without a doubt. Uh, we saw that he got this through the House of Commons barely with the support of, uh, of the NDP and the Jagmeet Singh. Uh, and when he started realizing, even in the Senate of Canada, there were some Trudeau-appointed senators, like former retired Judge Senator Dalphon, who stood on the right side of history in here and said, wait a minute here, you're suspending civil rights, you're suspending due process, and you're opening up the opportunity for the government to go in and investigate people in a witch hunt just for political expediency. Uh, there's, there's no doubt it, it weighed heavily because we know this prime minister never does the right thing. He does whatever is politically motivated for him. And at the end of the day, the real crux of the issue here is while provinces right across this country are lifting mandates, Ontario, Quebec, Western provinces, one after another, Prime Minister Trudeau doubled down and refused to lift the remaining man- mandates in this province, which punish hardworking truckers in the country. And he did it just because he hates having a political loss on his on his loss column. And this isn't a game. This country's deeply divided. This country's hurting on economic on the economic front. Anybody who's gone to the grocery store lately to buy a roast to feed their family uh, realizes mm. how difficult it's becoming. Yet this prime minister. Instead of taking a step back, rising to the occasion, listening to the protesters, dialoguing with them, try to show some empathy. Again, he called them names. He tried to make an example of them. He tried to pin one Canadian versus another. He stoked the divisions in this country. And it's unacceptable. It is really unacceptable. If he had any dignity where he has brought this country, quite frankly, he should be stepping down right now. Yeah, uh, for whatever reason, he has a, a Teflon exterior and hasn't, uh, you know, had to, you know, he has not yet hoisted himself on his own petard. But, you know, this may stave off uh, some political damage and maybe people will move on because there's lots of distractions, as you well know, with Ukraine and all the rest of the stuff going on in the world. So, you know, he may once again get spared because of distraction, which has served him very well, I think. But there, there's a lot of damage um, that's going to be left behind because, to your point, the division doesn't go away. The mistrust does not go away. The anger that we have seen rise in this country does not go away. Um, people are just going to be further and further uh, isolated and, I guess, pushed out, I guess, to this fringe minority he talks about because this is going to be seen as a political game to many, as it should. For democracy to work, Laws have to be consistent. And I said this throughout the debate the last couple of days. You can't have certain laws for certain people depending on where they stand politically in this country. And that's who Justin Trudeau is all about. Uh, And it's very, very, very dangerous. Uh, And I think this is just the tip of the iceberg. I warned my parliamentarian colleagues today that if we look at this existential crisis of COVID, which has been poorly managed by Justin Trudeau and has created such deep divisions, the country's completely divided in half, brothers and sisters and, and family members. But the real crisis that's around the corner, which is terrible inflation, a poorly managed economy, a prime minister that has no fiscal anchor or no monetary policy, 
when that comes around the corner, the frustrations, I'm afraid, are only going to get more exasperated. And this prime minister's reflex of constantly pinning one Canadian against another will drive this country down a path that's very dangerous and very, very, very disconcerting. Just before I let you go, Senator, um, you know, you had spoken about, uh, you know, not wanting to rubber stamp this, that you needed more information. Was there a real division with the Senate? Was this ultimately not going to get passed through? Was this, you know, was this being questioned enough in the end? Mm. It's unfortunate that the vast majority of the Trudeau appointees who always proclaim themselves to be independent have shown time and time again to line up and try to justify the the unjustifiable when it comes to this government. We saw it with the WE scandal, we saw it with the SNC scandal, uh, and we saw it once again in this particular instance, which I consider to be uh, a great blemish on the history of this country, where they're willing to tolerate anything. And once upon a time, liberals and progressive so-called politicians in the country always proclaimed themselves to be the great defenders of the charter, to be the great defenders of, of liberty and freedom and individual rights. Well, let me tell you, this group of Trudeau politicians in Ottawa, the only thing they're preoccupied with is defending the power and, and the Trudeau grasp for power, which seems mm-hmm. to be a constant reflex in this town. What an ugly chapter. I know we'll get inquiries and studies and commissions and all the rest of it. That will come out later. But nonetheless, it is a boy, what a time. I I appreciate your time on this. It looks like you've got more time on your hands tonight than you thought, but uh, I'm sure there'll be other issues coming up. Appreciate it. Thank you, Alex. That is uh, Senator Leo Housakis on this uh, show. He was supposed to come on and talk about something else, but nonetheless, here we are having this conversation. And thankfully, he and many others did, in fact, push back against this. Today, we need much more than hope. We need swift, concrete, and resolute actions. Well, you can hear the urgency as Ukrainian officials sensing the dire situation now right outside their, you know, their country's doorstep. They're warning the world of what's to come. They're telling their own people to flee to safety. And we have an enormous Ukrainian community in Canada. Over 1.4 million came to this country to find safety and freedom, but they've all got family back home in Ukraine, right in the direct path of this threat. And those people have lived there with this threat for years. And so there are a lot of people who will not leave Ukraine, some because they can't get out. It's too chaotic, but many feel a great sense of patriotic duty to protect their homeland, no matter Russia's strength. And they will put their life on the line to stand up to Russia's aggression. Peter Stern is head of Ukrainian Canadian Congress and also co-leader of Stand with Ukraine movement. This is a hashtag campaign to get the world to stand with Ukraine. He joins us now. Good to have you, Peter. Thank you. Your wife has family that lives right in this rebel area that Putin has just declared as independent. So this is a rebel area. Uh, It's just outside Donetsk. And it's about 100 kilometers from where shelling is taking place. This has got to be the most uh, stressful time. Kind of characterize what it's like to be so far away and yet so close to something. Oh, it's uh, it's 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 just the emotions, uh, the the fear, the the heartbreak. Um, my wife has been trying for the last uh, few days to get through. Uh, they're they're not inside that area. And I'll just correct you. Uh, we mm-hmm. don't call it a rebel area because uh, prior to 2014, there was absolutely no separatist or re- rebel movement in Ukraine until Russia invaded took Crimea and then, of course, a portion of uh, of uh, eastern Ukraine. Um, so there, there was there was never any 
um, a movement to, to to create any kind of turmoil within Ukraine. Ukrainians, even Ukrainians of Russian descent, just wanted to live live, live peacefully, as other parts of the world, and wanted their democracy to flourish. But in terms of, well, I think family, that's important because that that is part of the propaganda. Where if if you don't know, um, you know the details, it can easily become part of the narrative, which is what Putin wants. Which is exactly why they created yeah. false republics, right? So yeah. they call them. So this, the Donbass is made out of two major regions, Donetsk and Luhansk. Those are two major urban centers, a huge industrial area. It's one of the biggest coal outputters in and steel uh, producers in all of uh, Eastern Europe. So um, it's also strategically, it's, it's an important piece of area for the economy. And so they they went in there and created this false pretense that there's a war, which they've done in other parts of the world. They've done the same thing in Chechnya. They've done the same thing in Georgia and and created this false narrative that there's some kind of separatist movement. We're going to create these artificial republics, which the other day he actually recognized. And now they're going in to protect them and to help them. So they're moving troops right. in. And they're also claiming a much larger area that they control. Ukraine was actually very effective with their own volunteer army eight years ago, stopping them from advancing any further, because that's clearly what they wanted to do. But uh, so they were able to effectively fight them off. But now, with 10 times as many troops being lined up on the border, the latest reports say close to 200,000, which is three quarters of his fighting uh, standing army right now. Uh, clearly, the motiv- the motivation is to provoke something and create a major conflict and justify it in front of his own people. Yeah, and, and from what we have been told, Peter, so far from the United States and, and our NATO allies is that this could be very bloody. Uh, it will create a, an enormous a humanitarian crisis. And so I think a lot of people here in Canada, um, and you probably, you and your wife have had to explain, you know, why wouldn't these people get out sooner if they had the opportunity? Why would they stay? Is it a sense of patriotism? Is it a sense of um, that they can stand up to Russia? What is it? Well, of course, there's that, right? Ukrainians are, 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 are like many people in the world. They're proud patriots. They're proud of their heritage. They're proud of their language, their culture, which, by the way, is completely different than Russian. Uh, we just all happen to have the same alphabet. So I tell people it's like French and English, right. same alphabet, but we're not the same people. So uh, obviously that's important. But at the same time, we have to realize Ukraine is the largest country in Europe. It's actually slightly larger than France territorially, and it's 40 million people. Where are 40 million people going to go if there's a war? So what you've had is people displace themselves. I have friends and family that, you know, were in Kiev, actually uh, expatriates that moved from Canada. They got jobs in Ukraine and they're sending their family into western Ukraine right now, which they believe will be a safer area because it will be much further away from any kind of invasion. But the men, a lot of them are staying back. And today I see lineups in front of uh, uh, offices where the the middle-aged men are signing up and conscripting to join the army. Because, as you know, under the old Soviet Union, most of them had military experience because they had to ser- everyone had to serve two years. So all mm-hmm. of these men and, and a lot of women know how to use a rifle, know how to fight. But it, to think in this day and age, in, in a fledgling democracy that's been in the truly independent for 30 years and wants nothing more than to be part of Europe, be part of a liberal democracy to join the rest of the civilized world, has actually 
look at defending themselves by finding weapons and joining the army just to defend against a, a neighbor that really just wants to rebuild the, an old empire. Yeah, and and I've heard these stories where you've got grandparents, like kids, um, you know, middle-aged people, women, men, who are picking up arms, to your point, and they will defend, and they will pay their lives uh, to defend this country. And is there a feeling, Peter, um, that no matter what happens, obviously things are going to change. Um, Ukraine, which has lived under the threat of Russia for, for many, many years, uh, either Ukrainians are going to be living under a dictatorship or a communist rule or, you know, whatever rule that Putin wants to put on it. Uh, but is there a sense that, you know, all is lost after, you know, they enter the country officially? I mean, what is the sense of what Ukraine looks like in the future right now? Well, not at all. Um, you know, it's uh, I hate to say it, but I'm, I'm kind of I, I kind of compare it to to Vietnam. Um, you, you know, Russia might be able to come in with their overwhelming firepower from the air, particularly uh, from their rockets. But if it becomes a ground war, um, you know, Ukraine has already 220,000 soldiers in the, in the military, over 400,000 reservists. Um, yeah. And today wow. I saw a report that there's at least in the last few years, 700,000 people have registered are registered weapon owners, not to mention the ones that aren't registered. So there is no way you can subjugate a country of 40 million people when everybody's willing to stand up to you. And clearly, yeah. it's, it's, it's that. Do you want to live? Most people that were around back in the days of the Soviet Union knew what that was like. <laughs> no one wants to ever They don't want to go back. Under that. Yeah. And you can't. After you yeah. survive through that, why would you say, okay, I'm prepared to give up everything? Uh, just so I don't die. And I think that's yeah. that's the thing that the, the Russians are underestimating. Yeah, and I think that's why we get so much emotion. Uh, certainly when I when I see the protesters in the convoy, whatever, when you talk to those who come from Eastern Europe, they say, hey, don't take your freedoms for granted ever. We know what we escaped and we don't want to lose it here. And so I think people laugh that off, but there is such a strong, you know, memory of that in connection to to that kind of authoritarian it's interesting, though, Peter, there are a lot of implications, not just economy, uh, not just gas and fuel and all those things that go with this and the human life loss, life loss. There's a bigger implication for the world that, you know, this could tip China to, to going after Taiwan. And so there's, you know, there are there are other groups I find interesting that are starting to stand with your your organization, like the Tibetans or even the Taiwanese who are who are coming together at this time to push back. Uh, we don't we haven't seen that before. This is very true. It's uh, we we've always had friends. Uh, the, we've always been close with uh, the Baltic communities. We've been close uh, with the Polish community. We've had all kinds of you know. We all had, you know, being from former communist countries, there was an awful lot of understanding within the communities. But yesterday we had a rally in front of the Ukrainian consulate just to show our support. We had about three hundred yeah. plus people show up, and uh, what was interesting is we did have the Taiwanese there. We had Albanians mm. there. You know, we had Belarusians there. So, and it was interesting, the Taiwanese, in their little uh, speech, said, we know that if Ukraine falls, Taiwan is next, mm -hmm. because the yeah. green light is now to any authoritarian ruler to say, well, if the West is not going to react, I'm going to take what I want. And, and sure. I use this example and say, this Ukraine is po the Poland of 1939. In 1939, the Western mm -hmm. allies really weren't overly concerned when Germany took Poland. And we know how that ended. 
It doesn't yeah. end at one place or one country. Putin's goal, Russia's goal, is to bring back their sphere of influence, which includes all of Eastern Europe. Now, do we want that? Mm -hmm. The next step will be NATO would have to get involved because if the Baltics yeah. get attacked or Poland gets attacked, well, we're now talking about a world war, essentially. So we believe it's much Very. better to deal with this now, stop them in the bud, make, make the Russians realize that their leader is leading them down a path that is not only bad for their neighbors, but horrific for them as well. No question about it. It is a very, very frightening time. And of course, um, we're thinking of you, your family, and we'll keep talking about it and giving them a voice here. So I thank you, Peter, so much. Uh, wishing your wife well, and I, uh, we'll talk again, I'm sure of it. Thank you very much, Alex. Peter Stern is with the Ukrainian Canadian Congress, just one of many, many, many groups here, you know, representing Ukrainians who have you know, make this their home and very much have a connection to what happens. So we are going to watch this and we will be talking about this because it is not a small thing. Thank you for listening. Of course, you can join me Monday through Friday starting 6.30 sharp. I'm Alex Pearson. This is On Point.